Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning. Um, My name is Pete, and this morning's scripture reading comes out of Psalm 41. Happy is the one who is considered of the poor. The Lord will save him in a day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him. He will be blessed in the Lord, blessed in the land. You will not give him over to the desires, desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You'll heal him on the bed where he lies. I said, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak maliciously about me. When will he die and be forgotten? When one of them comes to visit, he speaks deceitfully. He stores up evil in his heart. He goes out and talks. All who hate me whisper together about me. They plan to harm me. Something awful has overwhelmed him, and he won't rise again where he lies. Even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. But you, Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up. Then I will repay them. But this I know, that you delight in me. My enemy does not shout in triumph over me. You supported me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Thanks, Pete, for reading. Thank you, Tori and Avery and Grace for leading us in, in singing to this morning. Um, If you haven't already, I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Psalm chapter 41, the 41st Psalm. While you're turning there, I want to continue this posture of worship um, and prayer to our Father this morning. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are reminded that you are infinite and we are finite. We are reminded that you are here with us. God, we're reminded that in the stillness, you are here. In the quiet, you are here. So, Father, we ask that your name would be honored as holy this morning. We ask that your kingdom would come. We ask that your will would be done here in Ankeny as it is in heaven. Father, we're, we're reminded as we, as we hear another church meeting just in the band shell, just a little bit of ways, we're reminded that we are not the only saints worshiping you this morning. So we pray for all the other, the other gospel-centered churches in Ankeny. God, we lift them up to you that they would proclaim your greatness and your salvation that your spirit would be with them, in them. We think of our brothers and sisters worshiping there, God. I pray that, I pray that we would not be deceived, that we'd be steadfast, we would be immovable, we would not be driven in two by every wind of doctrine, but that we would stand on you. Father, you are our solid rock. As we look at your word today and what it means to consider the poor, I ask for humility. I ask for wisdom. I ask for discernment. I ask for clarity. And I ask for courage, God. Not just for me, but for everybody in this room. And as the preachers of old used to say, Holy Spirit, stand in my body, think in my mind, and speak in my mouth. May the words of our heart and the meditation of all of our lips be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray all these things in your son's name. 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. <clears throat> amen. We have, uh, we're in a series, an eight-week series in the book of Psalms. We're tracing the theme of flourishing in the Psalms. Also, I'm going to, can you guys see the screen behind me? If I like move a little, okay. Yeah, everybody over here, cool. Uh, true flourishing. What is true flourishing? We're tracing eight different Psalms, and those eight different Psalms are on this bookmark. So if you did not get a bookmark, Last week, we have extras for you. We'd love for you to just take it. And even if you're just visiting for, oh, Nate has them. He will bring them to you at the end of the sermon. And even if you're just visiting for this week and you're like gonna be gone next week, take the bookmark. It'll be great. Um, also, if you're visiting, welcome. We are having a meal afterwards. You are more than welcome to stay and eat uh, as much food as you want and meet some people and say hi. So everybody that is here is more than welcome to have food. We're gonna give you announcements for that after this, we're basically just gonna put those tables everywhere and we're gonna eat around it and it'll be great. But there's a meal afterwards, so we'd love to have uh, all of you stay uh, and, and join us with that. Um, when I was in 10th grade, uh, my family went to Disney World and uh, while we were there, my mom and dad decided to surprise my sister and I with uh, a show, tickets to a show to see the Blue Man Group. You guys know what the Blue Man Group is? It was, I was really excited about it, or it was a surprise, so I didn't realize it was happening, but I really wanted to see the Blue Man Group, and the Blue Man Group, if you don't know, there's these guys, they're blue, they're actually painted blue, which is like cool, and it's just like a show, and they're like, you know, there's like music involved, and there's drums, and there's paint, and there's art, and all this stuff, and they're really funny, too, and they don't talk, which is also interesting, how they can communicate humor and all this stuff without talking, but anyway, I really wanted to see the Blue Man Group, and my mom and dad decided to surprise us, so the lie was to like make sure that I didn't know, you know that we were going to go see Blue Man Group is we're going to go to dinner and then we're going to like walk to this ice cream place after dinner that my dad found and apparently it was going to be really good. So we go to dinner and then we start walking to what I think is an ice cream place, but really it was towards the Blue Man Group Theater. And in Disney World, I don't know where in the Disney World park it was, but the, the route that we were taking, there was this long, wind, like really long, windy sidewalk and it only led to the Blue Man Group Theater. So as soon as you entered the sidewalk, there was literally a sign, and it said, Blue Man Group, this way. You know, Disney World is like, they can, you can't get lost there. If you get lost, it's your own fault, because there's signage everywhere, right? Like, it said, Blue Man Group, this way. So we start walking down this sidewalk, and I didn't see that first sign, and my sister did, and she was like, oh, we're gonna go see Blue Man Group. And I think my mom might have, like, shushed her, because she was, like, basically saying, like, let's see how far Parker can get down this sidewalk. <laughs> before he realizes that we're going to the Blue Man Group. So it started as a little sign. Eventually we keep walking and I'm just in my own world. I am oblivious. We're passing an, another sign. We pass another sign. Eventually these signs get bigger and bigger to the point where it got so funny that I was so oblivious in my own little world that my mom took out her camera and started taking pictures of me and of the signs because I could not see them. So I have a few pictures here. The first one, let's just go to the first one. The first one is, here. Okay, so I don't know if you can see this. This is probably 40 feet tall, TVs, bright. That's my dad. That's me. I don't know where I am. I literally could not see this sign. To prove it, next picture, just one more. Here's another one. Uh, my sister, by the way, she wanted me to say that that outfit was in style 13 years ago with that bag, but uh, you can see this huge sign. I'm just oblivious to this, and I don't know if you see these letters right here. It says, ooh and oop that stands for Blue Man Group. <laughs> to this point, I still could not see any signs. I was just oblivious, and I can prove it to you. Next picture. There, <laughs> there is my face for how excited I was when I'm 50 yards in front of this theater, and it says Blue Man Group, and then it was just like, like I'm excited, my dad's looking at me like, you bozo, like how did you not see all of these signs? So I literally was walking through this, I mean, dozens and dozens of 40-foot LED bright signs, and it took me till I was 50 yards in front of it, and I think my dad even nudged me. He's like, hello, <laughs> like, look at this sign. So I was excited. We went to the Blue Man Group show, but the rest of the week, that was the running joke of, like, we were getting into a car, and my dad was like, hey, bud, can you see the car? It's right there. <laughs> and it was like, haha, very funny. You can take that off the screen. It's embarrassing for me now. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, but I, and I've, I've told that story on multiple occasions, and it's funny, and I always get to laugh, and it's like, great, we can make fun of Parker for being oblivious to things. But every time I've come back to the story, that story that was, what, 13, 14 years ago has almost become a parable in my life because I was walking down a sidewalk, 
and I hope you guys see where I'm going with this. I was walking down a sidewalk on the right sidewalk. I was going the right way, and I was passing signs, and I just could not see them. I had, there were signs that were actually there, things that were actually there, and I just did not have the eyes to see them. And that's become a parable in my life because there are sometimes when I'm, we're going through life, we're walking down a sidewalk, we might even be walking down the right path, but then all of a sudden you turn around and you realize, oh my goodness, I had, I had never noticed that before. And I remember when I was right in front of that Blue Man Group sign, I literally turned around and I was embarrassing how big these signs were that I had just walked past and was completely unaware of. A lot of times this happens to me in Bible reading, right? Like I'll be reading the Bible and all of a sudden a, a word, a theme, a phrase, something will pop out and it's like a Blue Man Group moment where I, I stop, I turn around and I realize, oh my goodness, this has just been all throughout the scriptures and I had never seen it before. Something similar happened to uh, this girl named Sarah. Sarah grew up in a suburb of Dallas and grew up in a kind of a, a, a Christian home. It was probably more cultural Christian at the time, but grew up in a Christian home and she had dreams of going to Broadway and making it big and becoming an actress and like, you know, the, the whole, you know, nine yards. So she applied after she was graduating high school, she applied to NYU and she got accepted to NYU as a theater major. So she moves to New York City She's living her dream, all this stuff. And while she's there, she found a church community that she was getting plugged in with. And at the church community, her eyes were widening to Jesus and to what it means to be a Christian and to all these things. And so by her senior year, she got together with a friend, one friend, and they decided to do this. They decided to go through, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, read the Gospels, and actually do what Jesus like, said to do, like actually try to follow Jesus. Do what he said to do. Be with the people that he said to be with. And after she had doing this, been doing this for a little bit of time, she had a Blue Man Group moment where she stopped, she turned around, and she realized that Jesus over and over and over and over and over again was sharing meals with the poor, and she almost never was. How could she call herself a disciple, she wondered, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, if she never found herself near and around the very people that Jesus always found himself around? And so she decided to make a simple decision. Once a week, she would take her lunch from the NYU cafeteria, and she would go outside, and there was, on the corner down the street, there was a group of houseless people, and she decided to just once a week just go and have lunch with these, these people, share her lunch with these people. And so she eventually learned their names, she learned their faces, she learned their stories, and they learned hers. And all of the assumptions that she had about the poor people, about houseless people, all of the assumptions that she had about the needy and the outcasts of society were absolutely shattered. Assumptions that she grew up hearing. Assumptions like, oh, well, there's a reason they, that they're in the situation they're in. They made decisions to know that they have to live with their consequences. That assumption, shattered. Or the assumption of, oh, hey, they could get a job, but they just choose not to get a job because they would rather swindle people into giving them $5 than to have to work. That assumption, shattered. Or the assumption, well, what are you going to do? What is one individual going to do about such a big problem? What is one decision going to do? What is one uh, act of justice and kindness and selfless love going to change? There's so many needy people, you can't possibly make an impact. That assumption, shattered. When she had that eye-opening moment where she stopped on the sidewalk, she turned around, and she looked at all of the signs that she had passed, she realized that you cannot escape the fact that God's heart is for the poor, period. It's for the needy. It's for the destitute. From Genesis 3 to Revelation 2, and especially Jesus in all four of the Gospels, we see a God who cares for the poor, the literally, materially impoverished, who cares for the widow, the orphan, the addicted, the strung out, the prostitute, the sinner, the immigrant, the refugee, the tax collectors. And so today, we have an opportunity to have a Blue Man Group moment. This happened to me just a few years ago, so I'm no expert in this. But we have a moment where we're going to look through the scriptures and hopefully this can be where we turn around and we see over and over and over and over and over and over and over again all of the signs that we've been missing, that God is with the poor. God is with the needy. 
God is with the immigrant and the refugee and the single mom and the widow and the orphan. So we're going to start in Psalm 41 because it says, happy is the person who is considerate of the poor. We're going to start there, but really we're going to be flipping a lot of pages today. We're going to be all over scripture today because the goal of today is to, to realize what this psalm means. What does it mean that we consider the poor? And is it just one instance and it's just one sign? Or is it a whole sidewalk with 40 feet tall LED bright signs that says God's heart is for the poor? Now, before we do that, a quick note. A quick note. There are three things that we want to say very clearly. And by we, I mean me, Nate Pritchard, Tom Butler, Janet Whedon. They've looked over the sermon. We've put our heads together and our hearts together for this sermon. There are three things that we want to say about this. First, we want this to be an ongoing conversation. We want this conversation, this topic, this heart that God has for the poor, we don't want it to be a one-time sermon where we just talk about, oh, we should consider the poor and be done with it. We want to grow in this as a church together. We don't want this sermon to be just another sermon that we throw into the archives, but we also know that we're not the experts. We're not the experts in this. We want this to be a process of all of us at AGC. I'm not talking to anybody else right now. I'm talking to all of us right here. We want all of us at AGC to grow, to learn, with the goal of our hearts breaking for what breaks God's heart. And we're gonna see very quickly that you cannot escape the fact that God's heart breaks for the poor and the needy. So we want that to be our goal. We want this to be an ongoing conversation. Second, we want to avoid over-spiritualization. The Western church, specifically the evangelical tradition, has become experts in spiritualizing words like this, poor, widow, orphan, needy, hungry, homeless, destitute, prostitute, refugee, immigrant, afflicted, etc. We have become experts in over-spiritualizing this, right? Like, oh, well, it means poor, but it doesn't mean like literally poor. It means spiritually poor. And it doesn't mean a literal orphan. It means like a spiritual orphan because we're all orphans. Now, there is a time that that works, right? Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's clearly a reference to spiritual poverty. But most times, and I did a word search on this, the majority of the times, almost all of the times, The Bible means the actual poor, the literally materially impoverished. It means the actual widow, the actual orphan, the actually houseless person, the actual refugee, the actual immigrant, the actual needy, the actual prostitute, the actual drug addicted person, the actual afflicted person. So today, as a church, we want to follow Jesus in the scriptures and say, Lord, lead us to those people who have your heart. Lead us to those people who you hear probably more than we hear. So we want to avoid over-spiritualization. And the third thing we want to do is we want to avoid an out-there mentality. The out-there mentality is this. We get into our cars, we drive somewhere out there in order to serve a homeless person or a needy person or a hungry person, and once we do that, we get to check our serve box, and then we drive back home where there's no needy people, and we thank God that we don't have have to live in a rough part of town. That's the out there mentality. Now, are there homeless, needy, afflicted, refugees, orphans, and widows in Des Moines and other parts of the metro? Yes, but are there there those exact same people here in Ankeny? Yes, 100%. There are poor, houseless people in Ankeny. There are refugees in Ankeny. And if we see God's heart for the poor, then this is less of a way to check the box once a month, and it's more a way of living where we take the buffer that we have created around ourselves, the insulation that we've created around ourselves, and we live right here in Ankeny as Jesus would, listening to the people that he listened to, talking to the people that he talked to, sharing a meal with the people that he would share a meal with. Because oftentimes we avoid the people that Jesus tends to go right after. So I know we just prayed. Sorry, I'm coming in hot today. I know we just prayed, but we need to pray again because there's a lot of noise around this topic. Let's just address it. There's a lot of noise around this topic, and there's a lot of churches that have abandoned the gospel but are really good at caring for the poor, and there's a lot of churches that have not abandoned the gospel, and they can pass a theology exam but are terrible at caring for the poor, and we don't want to become either extreme. So we need to ask God for wisdom, discernment, grace, nuance, and love to walk the narrow road to walk the narrow road. And so I, I know there's a lot here, but I want to pray and give this conversation, the rest of our sermon, over, over to God. So please, 
pray. And actually, if you wouldn't mind, the most common, we've done this, we do this all the time, the most common posture of prayer in the scriptures is hands open, just right in front of you. So if you wouldn't mind, please open your hands with me as we pray to our Father. Father, we know that um, you care more about us than we often care about ourselves and about other people. We know that your heart for us is love. We know that you look at us in love. So Father, as we as we search your word, I pray right now that you would give us a moment where we can't ignore the signs anymore. I pray that this would not just be a thing that we talk about one time, but God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts so that we can become people just like you. God, we say we wanna look like you. We say we wanna seek your presence and be formed into your image. So Jesus, right now we ask that you would form us into your image and you would open our eyes to see the people here that you care about. God, I ask that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. I ask that you would remove any pride or any uh, fear or any anger or bitterness about this and we would just search your heart through the scriptures and see what you have to show us. Pray all this in your son's name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Psalm 41, verse 1. Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor, for the Lord will save him in a day of adversary. Hap- uh, adversary. Adversity. Happy. We've been tracing this word through the Psalter. Happy is the Hebrew word ashray. It means blessed, content, happy, flourishing. And it comes from meditation on the law of the Lord, Psalm 1. It comes from surrender to the Lord and his ways, Psalm 2. It comes from confession of sin, Psalm 32. It comes from trust, Psalm 40. By the way, I'm just reading the bookmark right now, so another shameless plug that you should totally get a bookmark. They're free. You don't have to get it. You just take it. Uh, And today we're going to see that flourishing, happiness, blessedness comes from considering the poor. Now, what does it mean to consider the poor? By the way, again, I'm reading from the uh, CSB here. That's the CSB translation. To consider the poor, the word consider is a word used a lot in the wisdom tradition of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and it means not just thinking, but doing, right? Knowledge is just thinking. Wisdom is knowledge applied, right? You can have a smart person who has a lot of knowledge about something, but they're a fool when it comes to biblical wisdom because they don't do anything about it. Consider is one of those words that isn't just thinking about something. Rather, it's actually doing something. In other words, considering is, not, is putting yourself into somebody else's shoes. So to consider the poor is to put yourself in their situation and take practical steps to meet their needs, which has a lot of implications because for the longest time, I was like Sarah in my story, who, the girl who moved from Dallas to New York City, and I had a lot of assumptions about the poor, about the needy, about those on the outskirts of society without actually knowing a poor person. And by knowing, I don't just mean having one conversation with. By knowing, I mean sitting with, knowing their name, knowing their story, listening to them, putting yourselves in their shoes, getting into their lives, being that person that they can call when they need something. Starting, it starts with a conversation, for sure. It starts with a conversation like, hey, do you want me to get you a meal or take you to you know, this place to get clothes or whatever? It starts there, but it does not end there. Considering the poor is less of a one-time thing and it's more of a lifetime of getting to know and getting to be with the poor. It's more than just thinking about it. It's getting into their lives and putting yourselves in their shoes. That's what it means to consider the poor. But what does poor mean? Does David here mean spiritually poor or does he mean literally poor? This word, poor, means poor. (laughs) This is why I get paid the big bucks. This word poor means poor. There are two dictionaries, and by poor I mean literally, materially impoverished. This does not mean spiritual poverty. This means literal, material, impoverished people. Two dictionaries, the, the, the most you know, scholarly dictionaries out there on the Hebrew Bible. BDB says this, poor, a poor man, a poor Israelite who people, uh, like the Israelites in Exodus, and helpless because of their lack of possession. That's what poor means. Another uh, theological word book of the Old Testament. In this word, poor, is, it's the idea of physical and material deprivation. It means, that some, it means somebody who lacks material wealth, lacks social strength, 
These people are contrasted with the rich in Exodus 30 and Ruth 3 and with the great, and God enjoins their protection and promises them freedom and justice. So two definitions, like the most leading scholarly definition, the dictionaries there are, say that this word means the actually materially impoverished. Happy is the person who cares, considers, knows, is in a relationship with the materially impoverished. Now the rest of the psalm goes on to say that David himself, the reason that he says happy are those who consider the poor is that David himself was in a position of need. He was on his sickbed, he was um, losing his life, all this stuff, his friends that he thought were friends were becoming his enemies and all these things and the Lord saved him in a day of adversity and so now he is saying because the Lord saved me in a day of adversity in my time of need, I'm going to look for the people who are the most needy and give them help and consider them. That's the context of Psalm 41. Now I said we're gonna start in Psalm 41 but we're not gonna stay there so I hope your fingers are ready because we're gonna be flipping a lot of pages. So. Sign number one, Psalm 72. Turn to Psalm 72 with me. This is the first sign that we're gonna pass on the sidewalk to the Blue Man Group show. Psalm 72 is a messianic psalm, meaning it is about the Messiah. The messianic psalm is about the Messiah. This psalm is really beautiful. We're just gonna look at, we're gonna start in verse 11. But this psalm is really beautiful. It, It talks about this king of David who is going to bring justice, he's going to bring righteousness, all of the nations are gonna come and they're gonna worship him on his holy mountain, all the kings are gonna bow in homage to him, all the nations are gonna serve him, and obviously it's like, well, who is that king? That king is Jesus. So let's look with, look with me at 72 verse 11. Psalm 72 verse 11, this is kind of the end of like all the, the good stuff. Let all the kings bow in homage to him. All the nations serve him. Okay, pause there. If, uh, if all the kings are bowing to one king, that probably means that he like defeated them, right? Like he completely just crushed their empire. He crushed their military power. He did all that. And so now all the other kings, they have to, they have to worship and bow down to that king because he's the most powerful and he used his strength to defeat everybody else. But look at what it says about why all of the nations are gonna bow to this king. Verse 12 of Psalm 72. For he, this messianic king, will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no helper. He, verse 13, will have pity on the poor and the helpless and he will save the lives of the poor. He will redeem them from oppression and violence for their lives are precious in his sight. The messianic king of Psalm 72 isn't going to be one who's gonna come and just stomp on everybody. He's gonna be one who identifies with the poor. Same word, literally, materially impoverished. The needy, the afflicted, the outskirts of society, the orphan, the widow, the single mom with three jobs, the refugee, the immigrant, all of these people. The reason that this messianic king will have all the nations bow to him and all the king's servant is because he is with the poor. That's the first sign. God's heart is for the poor and needy. Sign number two, Proverbs. Um, We're not actually gonna turn there right now, but these are the two references that I'm I'm going to uh, look at with you. Uh, Proverbs 29 verse seven says this, the righteous person knows the rights of the poor, but the wicked person does not understand these concerns. Literally, what this, mean, what this says in Hebrew is that the person who loves the Lord, who is righteous before the Lord, is somebody who cares for the poor. And a wicked person, like I would define a wicked person as somebody who like murders a bunch of people. They said a wicked person does not understand the concerns of the poor. Same word, materially impoverished. Proverbs 21, verse three. The one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will himself also call out and not be answered. The one who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. You know what this is? This is not a sin of activity. This is a sin of passivity. This is not a sin of a rich person like oppressing a poor, like just punching a poor person. No, it's not that at all. It is a sin of passivity where this person has insulated their lives in such a way that they actually can't even hear the cry of the poor. They don't brush shoulders with these people. 
We're going to see that more in Amos. Two other Proverbs I'm just going to read from this. Uh, Tim Keller says this, Proverbs 19.17 and 14.31 are texts that sum up a great deal of Scripture. The first text that if you are, says that if you are kind to the poor, God takes it as if you're being kind to him. We're going to see this in Matthew 25. The second, Proverbs 14.31, gives us the flip side, namely that if you show contempt for the poor, it means that you are also showing contempt for God. Sign number two is Proverbs. Sign number three, Ezekiel, and I am going to have you guys turn there. Ezekiel chapter 16. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Good? Ezekiel chapter 13. I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 16. Verse 48 to 50. Uh, Ezekiel is summarizing the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. If I say Sodom and Gomorrah, you probably think of sexual perversion. Sexual perversion. It's in, Genesis, it's in the book of Genesis when Abraham is, and, and his, and his uh, nephew Lot, they're in Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham's like trying to plead with them. And a lot of times Sodom and Gomorrah's sin gets summarized as sexual perversion. Not according to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 16. He says, what does he say? Let's read it. Ezekiel 16 says this in verse 48. By the way, sorry, uh, real quick. Ezekiel is calling out Israel and comparing Israel's sins with all the other nations' sins. So he's saying, Israel, you're supposed to be the, the people of God, but your sins are no different than Babylon. Your sins are no different than Assyria. Your sins are no different than Sodom and Gomorrah. What does he say about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Verse 48, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord Yahweh, your sister Sodom, and her daughters have not behaved as you and your daughters have. In other words, Israel, you're worse than Sodom. Verse 49, now, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, plenty of food, and comfortable security, but they didn't support the poor and the needy. This is a sin of passivity. Sodom and Gomorrah's sin, according to the Bible, is that they had all the food they wanted, they had all the security they wanted, they were prideful because of that, and they didn't hear the cry of the poor and the needy. It doesn't say they were oppressing them. It doesn't say they were doing anything like that, right? I'm not saying that. What the Bible is saying is that they just buffered their lives and insulated their lives in such a way that they didn't know the needs of the poor and the needy in their midst. This is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that God rained down fire from heaven to destroy, according to Ezekiel chapter 16. We defend what we love. Do you ever notice that? We get angry about things that we care about. In other words, if somebody comes against my wife and my daughter, I will get angry because I care about them. If somebody uh, uh, comes against or antagonizes or oppresses something that we hold dearly, we get angry about. Over and over and over again in the prophets, God gets angry about what? He gets angry about Israel neglecting the needs of the poor and the needy, which means he cares about what? The needs of the poor and the needy. That's sign number three. Ezekiel. Sign number four, Amos. Turn with me to Amos chapter two. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Um, really, the entire book of Amos, you should read because it's super good and it talks about this. But specifically, Amos chapter two, verse seven. Look up here when you're, when you're there. We're doing the old Sunday school. Look up here when, you're, when you got to the passage. Amos chapter 2, verse 7. We there? Great. Let's read this. Actually, go up a verse. Go to verse 6. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Israel for three crimes, even four, because they sell a righteous person for silver. They sell a needy person for a pair of sandals. Then check this out. Verse 7. They trample the heads of the poor on the dust of the ground and obstruct the path of the needy. A man and his father have sexual relations with the same girl, profaning my holy name. What Amos says here in verse 7 is that sexual perversion and oppressing and not caring for the needs of the poor are the same severity of sin in God's eyes. Did you hear that? The same breath. Yahweh says, you're oppressing the poor, you're not caring for their needs, and you're, sexually, you're living in sexual perversion and sexual sin. 
Does God care about the poor and the needy in our midst? Yes, he does. Yes, yes, yes. Amos keeps going on. We don't have to turn there, but Amos 5 says this. Woe to those who turn righteousness into wormwood and throw righteousness to the ground when they trample on the poor. Woe to those who oppress the righteous, take a bribe, and deprave the poor of justice. Woe to you who are at ease in your own ivory towers. Woe to you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land. And then Amos goes on to promise a remnant, somebody who will actually care for the poor, and that's Jesus. Sign number four is Amos. Sign number five, Matthew. I know, we're blitzing, guys. Are you guys still with me? Great. Matthew, chapter 25. Turn there right now with me. Uh, by way of reminder, Matthew 9, I'm sorry, not Matthew 9, Matthew 6, <clears throat> Jesus gives three spiritual practices, fasting, prayer, and giving to the church so that they can keep running their programs. Nope. Giving to that one person who's raising support for a mission trip that they could pay for on their own. Nope. Giving to the poor. You do it so freely and frequently that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. Matthew 23, Jesus says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, woe to you religious elites, woe to you church people. I'm not saying this to you, I'm saying that's what Jesus is saying to them. Who, who, who uh, tithe mint, dill, and cumin, but they neglect the weightier issues of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel in the process. Then, Matthew 25, verse 35. Follow along with me, Matthew 25, verse 35. <clears throat> um, this is Jesus talking. Uh, look, go to verse 34, right above it, sorry. Then the king will say, Jesus will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in and see you naked without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, verse 40, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters, you did for me. Jesus doesn't say that he cares about the poor. Jesus says he is with and in the poor. How you treat the poor is how you treat God. And how you treat God is how you treat the poor. I can't, argue, I can't argue against that. He goes on, verse 42. Verse 41, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for by the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was sick, I was in prison, and you did not take care of me. Then they too are gonna answer. They're gonna go, Lord, Lord, come on. When did we see you hungry or thirsty? If I would have seen you hungry and thirsty, I would have done it for you. And then he will answer, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. How we treat the poor is how we treat God. How we treat the needy is how we treat the Lord. It's not just, again, that God just identifies. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I really care for the poor. It's that God is identifying himself with the poor. Could it be that you and I, our most profound encounters with God, are waiting behind ordinary faces, wanting to talk, wanting to listen, wanting to love, wanting a relationship? Could that be? Jesus himself 2 Corinthians 8, Jesus himself, though he was rich, became poor. Now, Jesus didn't become spiritually poor. Jesus became literally poor. Here's another quote from Tim Keller. If you insert the poor, you insert God. Insert. If you insult the poor, you insult God. By the way, this is a longer quote, so stay with me. The principle is that God personally identifies very close with the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant, the most powerful and vulnerable members of society. When the Old Testament says God identifies with the poor, that is a strong statement, but it is still basically a figure of speech. 
Not until you come to the New Testament can you fully grasp the degree to which God has done this. Listen to this. In Proverbs, we see that God identifying with the poor symbolically, but in the incarnation and death of Jesus, we see God identifying with the poor and marginal literally. Jesus was born in a feeding trough. When his parents had him circumcised, the offering that they made, two pigeons, was that prescribed for the poorest class in the people of society. He lived among the poor and marginalized who were drawn to him even as the respectable were repulsed by him. We see the kind of life he led when he said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. At the end of his life, listen to this, he rode in Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey, spent his last evening in a borrowed room, and when he died, he was laid in a borrowed tomb. They cast lots for his only possession, his robe, and there on the cross he was stripped of everything. He died naked and penniless. He had little the world valued, and the little that he did was taken. He was discarded, thrown away, but only because of him do we have hope. We see how far God was willing to identify with the oppressed of the world on the cross. The ultimate instance of God's identification with the poor is the cross. He not only became one of the actually poor and marginalized, he stood in the place of all of those of us in spiritual poverty and bankruptcy and placed and paid our debt. Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. The God of the Bible says, as it were, I am the poor on your step. Your attitude towards them reveals what your attitude is towards me. God is with the poor. How we treat the poor is how we treat God. That's sign number five, and we could go through all the Gospels and look. By the way, in the Old Testament, one out of every ten verses deals, is ta- deals specifically with our direct relation with the materially impoverished. One out of every ten verses. In the Gospels, that number jumps up to one out of every six. One out of every six verses in the Gospels is how we deal with the materially impoverished. Sign number six, early church. And I promise I'm wrapping up. The early church. Paul, in all his letters, talks about poor. In Galatians 2, he says that he wants, he can't wait, he yearns to care for the poor, the very thing that he was hoping to do. In Acts chapter 2, everybody gave freely. There was nothing that they they didn't have. St. Ignatian, or I'm sorry, St. Ignatius said that if somebody came to the church on a worship gathering and they were hungry and they didn't have food to give to that person, the entire church would fast fast until they all had enough food and they would have a huge feast together and they would welcome in the poor and the hungry and the needy person. Think about everything that Christians have invented or created. Hospitals, created by Christians. Nursing homes, created by Christians. Public school system, before the government got a hold of it, public schools, a Christian thing, a Christian invention. Orphanages, invented by Christians. The foster care system, created and started by Christians by Christians, soup kitchens. If somebody, uh, uh, St. Ignatius says this, if the church did not care for the poor, the oppressed, and the hungry, the entire church was guilty of heresy. Historians say that the, the most accurate way to trace the growth of Christendom in the first couple centuries, the most accurate way was to see what provinces and what areas and what cities where the poor went down and sex trafficking became illegal. You cannot... We cannot look at the scriptures and see a people of God who do not care for the poor and the needy and the marginalized. We can't. That's six signs of a zillion signs. And guys, I say this from a posture of a couple years ago, I had the Blue Man Group moment again where I turned around and I realized, oh my goodness, Jesus spent all his time with the poor and the marginalized and I almost never do. God's heart, God's biggest critiques are against the Israelites when they were stuffed up with food and they didn't care about anybody else. And is that me? And guys, what I don't want is for this to be, uh, Jesus does not require a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church. But there is such thing as a repentant church. And so uh, the signs are there. And as we turn around, we can look back at the signs and we can have a few different responses. We could get angry, we could get embarrassed, right? We could look at the signs of God's heart for the poor, we could get angry, we could get embarrassed, we could say, well, I'm walking down the right path, so that doesn't matter, I can keep ignoring the signs. That's not Jesus' invitation to us. We could turn around, we could look at all the signs, and we could realize that we've missed, and we haven't seen that, and we could get discouraged, like, ah, oh, so guilt-ridden, this feeling of shame, this overwhelming feeling, so that we freeze, and we actually don't go back. 
And that's not Jesus' invitation to us either. We could see all the signs and we could say, okay, let's go. Let's like not even meet at church anymore. Let's just go, let's just go blitz Ankeny and bring the kingdom of heaven to the streets. And actually, that's not Jesus' invitation to us yet today either. Here's Jesus' invitation to us. As we look at his heart for the poor, and we look at Psalm 41 that says, happy is the person who's considered the poor. Our first invitation is repentance. That's it. That's our first invitation. That's not it. It doesn't end there. Our first invitation is repentance. Because when we turn around and we see it all, and we hear Jesus himself say, how you treat the poor is how you treat me, and I look and I realize that I have not done that, I don't need to shame myself. I don't need to get overwhelmed. I don't need to work up action enough to do it. I need to repent. Because proximity to the poor is not an optional expression of the gospel for a subset of Christians with a particular social leaning. It is an essential priority of Jesus that tumbles forth from the heart of God and always has. Jesus wants to ex- us to experience his freedom. He wants us to experience his joy, his love, his flourishing, and he's inviting us, you, us, right now, AGC, as a community, not as an indivi- a bunch of individuals doing their own thing, as a community to turn around, see his heart for the poor, and have our hearts break for what breaks his. Now, the pattern of, of this in the scriptures is not just, a, a lot of people misread stuff like this, and they're like, let's just go do it now. Let's just do a bunch more programs and get as involved in nonprofits as we can and do everything. And that's not quite the right path because then you can just burn out on your own energy. Guys, we need to have our heart break for what breaks his. If we are not seeking the presence of God first, then everything that we do on the streets of Ankeny is in vain. We need to seek the presence of God because what, what happens in a transformation of society and a culture when, when Christians actually live out what Jesus says is it starts in your heart and it spills out into our church community, and then it spills out into the streets of Ankeny. And guys, our th- we've been praying for, I was gonna say years, but we're only like a year and a half old. We've been praying for like a year and a half in Ankeny as it is in heaven. Do we wanna become that? Because Jesus has a funny way of like, when you start praying for something, you actually become the answer to your prayers. And it's hard for you to pray for poor people and needy people and refugees and immigrants and single moms who have three kids and work a job. It's hard for you to pray for them and not do anything about it. So what's our, what's our call to action? Our call to action is first prayer. Prayer. We have a pr- and this is not like a, a plug thing because we want more numbers here. We have a prayer room every Wednesday at noon, every single Wednesday at noon for you and I to as a body pray together to seek the Lord in his face, to be formed into his image and then to live on mission for the renewal of our city. If, if, you're, if you're just praying by yourself, we need to pray together. Pray in our small groups, pray in our prayer room, pray with groups here right now today as we eat lunch and we remember the poor and we consider that. Because guys, if, we, if our hearts do not break for the poor, then all we're gonna be doing is try, spinning our wheels and running out of energy. We have to have the heart of God in this and that is God's heart. Second, small groups. This fall, I know Nate um, is working on our small group curriculum, and him and Dylan have been working on how we as a church, as Ankeny Gospel Church, how we can start doing this, baby steps, how we can get there. So later this week, we're sending out an email of just a bunch of opportunities for us to do as individuals, but then this fall, us as a small group, serving is going to be serving, considering the poor, loving our neighbor as ourselves is going to be a part of our small group rhythm because we cannot read the scriptures and see all the signs and just be insulated and buffered and have the sin of passivity where we don't actually care for the needs of the poor and the needy in our midst. Prayer, seeking the presence of God, being formed in the image of his son and then ultimately living on mission for the renewal of the city. Now, Nate said this in his class, keep quoting Nate, Nate said this in his class earlier this year on caring for the poor and the vulnerable, um, which I think he's gonna teach again next year, so totally take that class. Um, I just threw that on you, so I hope you teach it again next year. (laughs) He said this, and I I love this. We don't love for results. Jesus doesn't love us for results. Jesus loves us because he's love, because he is love. It's impossible for him not to love us. In the same way, we don't love for results. If you've met a poor person, a homeless person, a person on the outskirts of society, and you've loved them before, and they've taken advantage of you, or they've lashed out in anger, that's okay. Because the goal isn't to change them. The goal is to love them. And when you've met one homeless person, you've met one homeless person. When you've met one poor person, you've met 
one poor person. When you've met one single mom with three jobs and three kids who's trying to get, keep it all together, you've met one single mom with three jobs and three kids. When you've met one refugee, you've met one, every, story, every person's story is individual. Jesus didn't go to Simon the leper the week before he was about to die and say, well, I've seen a leper before and I know what those types of people are. No, it was a name. It was a face. It was considering the poor. It was having Jesus' heart break, break for what breaks God's heart. So that's our prayer today. It starts first with seeking the presence of God together, it spills out into our church community, and then it'll hit the streets of Ankeny because, guys, we can't pray in Ankeny as it is in heaven and just hope that somebody else does it. So this is a call. I know I'm, this is intense. I, of all the weeks to do it, right when we're about to have a meal together. But I know this is intense, but listen, guys, this is what we want. This is the heartbeat of Jesus. This is our heartbeat. And again, hear me. This brings up a lot of nerves. It can bring up a lot of nerves because like I said, there's a lot of churches out there who have abandoned the gospel but are really good at caring for the poor. But there's also a lot of churches and that get God's critique that are terrible. Like they've never cared for the poor, but they can pass any theology exam that you give them. And we don't want either extreme. We want to follow Jesus. Say, Jesus, lead us. Lead us to where you would go. Don't let us, don't, like, take off the blinders of our eyes. Allow us to turn around, see the signs, and continue there. So I know this is a lot, and I know you guys are probably hungry, and there's um, a lot going on, but I do want to, I want to give us a space right now to reflect and to pray. And it's going to be quiet, and there's going to be ruffling. That's okay. That's okay. But I, I want us to give us time to reflect and to pray because I want us to follow the Holy Spirit not just as a bunch of individuals, but as a church. So I'm gonna give us a space of silence for a minute or so, and then I'm gonna pray, and then we'll continue out in worship and in song before we eat together. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Mm-hmm.